Welcome to Sex Unshackled. I am Becky Krepsley Fox, and this podcast is where sexuality and spirituality meet. Today on Sex Unshackled, I have Dr. Ashley Towns with me. Ashley is a sexuality educator and researcher with extensive work focusing on the sexual experiences of African-American and Black women accessing sexual health information and healthcare services. Ashley has experience in working as a community health educator, disease intervention specialist, and an epidemiologist. She has taught human sexuality courses and has published her research in a variety of academic journals. Ashley, can you please tell the listeners what brought you to this work? Well, hi, everyone, and thank you so much for inviting me um, to, to talk about different things related to sexuality. Um, what brought me to this work really um, stemmed from my own personal experiences um, being a Black woman in America and um, navigating the healthcare system, understanding or not understanding, so the lack of um, quality, comprehensive sexuality education um, throughout all of my years growing up, and then seeing how that played a role in the lives of other women um, around me in my community and communities where I lived, um, you know, outside of the state that I grew up in. So that's really what brought me to this work, and that's what actually keeps me in this work as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, you have a personal attachment as well as a kind of academic attachment to the work, right? Absolutely. So today we're going to talk about exactly that. We're going to talk about issues affecting Black women's sex lives and all things sexuality. Ashley, can you kick us off by telling the listeners some of your thoughts around this topic? Wow. Um, I have so many, so many <laughs> thoughts. So many thoughts. Um, so I'll start by saying that when it comes to um, black women. And when I say black women, I'm going to be focusing primarily on those who were born in America, not necessarily those whose parents have uh, migrated to America. So maybe they're non-US born or they're first generation. Um, so primarily those who were born in America, parents are um, descendants of Africans who were brought to America for slavery. Um, there's this really strong um, disconnect, I should say, between um, what is actually happening um, in, in medical spaces, in education spaces that's really rooted in, um, you know, racism, discrimination, um, and it's, it's really been embedded in the history of America. And so because of that, um, then when you add on layers of poverty, you add on layers of um, lack of or being underinsured, when you add on layers of disproportionate um, being burdened with disease, um, not having, you know, a lot of um, people who look like you who are highly educated, who are, um, who are exposed to a variety of different resources, and that's what your upbringing looks like, then when it comes to sexuality, the only messages that are being received are those that are portrayed either in the media, on TV, or in the media of what you listen to music wise. And so there's a lot of black women who just, they're misinformed. Um, their, their bodies are being misrepresented in the media. And that's what they, that, that's how they learn about their bodies because they're not receiving messages anywhere else. 
Um, and so it's really, you know, unfortunate that we don't have a system that allows for a comprehensive sexuality education. There are states that allow it, but it's not universal. And, and, and so, you know, we have adult women who don't know the difference between a vulva and a vagina. We have adult women who aren't sure where their clitoris is and, and they're thinking that their clitoris and their urethra are the same thing. Um, and so, and these are real things that, are, that women are experiencing and are finally potentially learning about their bodies, you know, as they're going through uh, pregnancy or after childbirth or, you know, in menopause, they're finally learning what, what sexuality means and looks like for them. And they've missed out on so many years where they could have had that information early on. And so, you know, sexuality to me is, is about you know, embracing who you are and, and being confident and comfortable in your own skin. And we just don't have enough people pushing that message. Yeah, it's the same thing in the UK. Uh, we get very little sex education, if any. And the sex ed that we do get in schools is predominantly based around penis owners, um, you know, wet dreams and ejaculation. There isn't even any education. Well, there wasn't when I was a child anyway, about tampons or sanitary pads or anything like that so I feel like the culture of not talking about sex especially women's sexuality just mean, means there's so much more shame around the topic and that's why I believe a lot of well what I've seen in private practice anyway is a lot of women have low sexual desire because it's been ingrained into them to have this disconnect already that men's or people who own penises they're pleasure is more of a priority and that starts even just from very basic or none no sex ed no I, I definitely agree um and even as you're talking about that I'm thinking through you know um experiences of, of talking about a menstrual cycle and and feeling you know the message that um you know that your vulva or that your vagina is dirty or or that it's unclean and that there's all these products that you need to use in order to clean it um even though this is a natural biological process that happens for you know um you, and 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 just the thought of of feeling shame or dirty around that time of the month or you know even thinking about messages around masturbation that it's you know forbidden for for women but more acceptable or um or or even not even if it's not acceptable for for boys or or those with penises but that there's there's not a lot of shame like it's more so like, oh, it's, it's what you go through. It's, it's what you learn in order to grow up or, or go through puberty. But for, for young adolescent females, um, it's definitely not acceptable, not talked about. Um, and so even the pleasure experience or the pleasure gap that we see in research has a lot to do with messages around shame and guilt um, related to our bodies, really. Yeah. And I hated this ever since school that when girls or teenagers were fooling around with other people and having sex and they would get shamed and they'll get slut shamed. And, you know, back then I, I didn't know that I was a feminist. <laughs> I didn't know what feminism was, <laughs> but I was so against, I just couldn't believe the double standard and that the men got almost brownie points for behaving in the same way. And, you know, the women 
the teenagers fed into this as well. It wasn't just the slut shaming from the men. It was, they then made the women feel like they had to gossip about other women and make other women feel bad. And it's just that power of the patriarchy um, that is still going, you know, all around us, you know, even as an adult. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. And I still see it now, mm-hmm. even with younger adolescents now, um, I still see it. And, and it's, it's, it's really quite awful that something that, that is supposed to bring pleasure or, you know, something, you know, the act of sexual activity, or even just the idea of learning about who you are as a person, what your identity is going to look like, gender identity, sexual orientation, all of that is wrapped up in this, this overarching idea of what it should look like versus how you define it for yourself. And that to me is the biggest disconnect that we as people choose for ourselves what that should look like. And yet we live in systems that are basically telling us this is the norm and anything outside of that is deviant. And and I'm and I always wonder, well, who created that standard? Like, why are they so you know, powerful, manipulative, whatever, whatever that looks like, how come they, whoever that is, whatever culture or gender or whomever, religion, whatever, how, how did that come to be? And how do we disrupt that? How do we change that? Um, And I think that's, that's where I center my work around is how do we change that? How do we get enough people on board to say, I own this. This is my body. I have sexual agency. I make decisions for my body and you can't tell me not to, you know? Yeah. I've recently stopped shaving my armpits and I've stopped shaving my armpits as a political statement. (laughs) You know, it it (laughs) is, well, why should I, you know, because people have told me that I should. And, um, you know, it's becoming more normalized here in the UK. And I see lots of, well, not lots, but women who haven't shaved their armpits, but you know, we get, we shave, we have to shave every other day and then we get ingrown hairs and some people get rashes. And it's like, why are we doing this? Because someone once told us that we had to. So I have stopped shaving my armpits as a political statement. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. You know, I, I think about that all the time. Like all of the things that individuals go through to, to you know, meet some sort of standard of whether it's beauty or whatever you were taught you know, the gender role that you were taught, like, why do we have to do all of that for, you know, like, it's, it's, it's almost excessive, the amount of things we have to do. Um, And sometimes people don't even like the outcome, you know, you do all of these things that you're supposed to do, you know, whether you're, you know, identify as female or not. And some people don't even like it, you know, and so, and so you're frustrated (laughs) with the process. Um, when really you could just stand firm in your own person and say, no, this is what I choose to do. So I, I applaud, you know, your political <laughs> statement. Um, I think that that's fantastic because we don't see a lot of people doing that. Um, you know, it, and, and even, you know, I read a paper about, um, about body waxing um, and how, you know, that's where that started and how that started, um, which was more so of a public health concern, um, you know, with crabs and things like that, with people, you know, not being able to pass between pubic hair and some other reasons um, as well. And now it's 
become a beauty standard. Like you have to, you know, get pubic wax. And now there's companies that are monetizing and, you know, it's, I could go on and on about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's making me think about sort of what you were mentioning um, just a little while ago, the beginning of the podcast about how black women's sexuality isn't kind of shown in the media and it's, it's not all around us. And it's the same with the armpit hair and the same with the LGBTQ plus community, because these things are not broadcasted as mainstream. It's almost like people don't realize they have the choice. You know, when I speak to gay people, sometimes they'll say stuff like, well, um, I, I thought I was heterosexual because I didn't know there was another option because it wasn't in the small town that they came from and there was nothing on the telly about it. Um, And I think that is such a case for everything that we're talking about, but also women's sexuality, because it hasn't been portrayed as something that we are allowed, except from in porn, where a lot of that is degrading anyway to women. um, It's not been something that has been showcased that we're allowed to enjoy and get pleasure from. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Um, And and when it is, broadcast it's it's broadcast in a stereotypical way that all women perform or or react to situations in certain ways and there's a lot of stereotypes um, for black women and so you know I think that more recently um, black women have been pushing back on those stereotypes and sort of taking ownership and redirecting the narrative to fit their lives um, which is great to see Um, But even the women who do that get pushed back. And that's frustrating. (laughs) That is frustrating for sure. Mm -hmm. So you wrote an article about five issues affecting Black women's sex lives. What are the five issues? So let's see here. Um, I wrote that article quite a while ago. (laughs) All three of them will be great. (laughs) If if my memory serves well. um, One thing like that I mentioned was um, stereotypes and myths about Black women's sexuality. So for sure, um, there are stereotypes about, you know, women being um, caregivers and, um, you know, women being, um, you know, hypersexual, um, which is commonly known as the Jezebel, um, being, you know, angry or loud, um, being sort of like matriarchal. Um, and as I mentioned, Black women have been pushing back on that. So, for instance, um, you know, the, the idea of being um, angry or loud or what have you, women have been pushing back in the workplace to say, you know, I'm not going to wear my hair straight. Um, I'm going to wear my hair in its natural state, or um, I, I'm not loud, I, and I'm not aggressive, um, I'm confident, you know, and, you know, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not hypersexual, um, I'm, I'm actually just, you know, um, you know, have sexual agency, you know, I'm confident in who I am and what that looks like. Um, and so that's really great to see. And, and even the matriarch, you know, that started as a way to destroy and, and break down the idea of the black family, stating that women are single parents and things like that. And women have taken over that role to say, actually, the matriarch is the one who takes care of the family. She's the one who looks after everyone. Um, she's not necessarily a single parent. She could be a grandmother. She could be an elder. And that's a woman who's respected in the family. And so so I've seen in the culture a shift, um, a positive shift, which is which is awesome. Mm-hmm. So another thing I, I, I mentioned in the article that affects Black sexuality is um, the idea that we are um, 
um, prevention focused versus pleasure focused. And this can be in, um, you know, the lack of sexuality education, which, which I think is another one. Those kind of go hand in hand because even, you know, for those in the medical field, nursing field, sexuality, research, education, all of that, um, the focus is always driven by data. And so if the data shows that we have higher, you know, rates of infection for this and higher rates of infection for that, and it, it appears to be within a certain community, then we're focused on how do we drive that number down versus let's talk about why people are having sex, which is for the pleasure. And in that conversation, okay, are you orgasming? Are you using protection? Do you want to use contraception? What does that look like for you? Have you thought about it? What's your plan? And that's a different approach to here's some condoms and you need birth control. And, you know, individuals are like, well, okay, you know, like, and, and there's no real, there's no way for them to make the decision for themselves is being forced down their throat. Um, and I think that that's not the right approach. Um, it doesn't allow people to make decisions for themselves and, and to understand the consequences of their decisions. It just forces them into a yes or no box versus a here is a buffet of all of your options. Which one do you think works best for you? And knowing that over time you could change your option to something else that may work better for you at that time of your life. And that's not what we see in traditional medicine. Um, it's condoms, it's birth control, it's IUDs. It's, you know, let's just stop you from having children. Let's, you know, and people push back on that. You know, unplanned pregnancies are not always a bad thing. Um, I read in a study that majority of, I don't remember the statistic exactly, but it was over half of black and Hispanic women who were, who had an unplanned pregnancy, who were excited and carried out that pregnancy. It did not end in abortion. It did not end in an unwanted child that they couldn't take care of. But the narrative that we see is that women are having children that they don't want, that they can't support. And that's not, that, that's not what our data shows. So I think that, you know, all of those things, uh, impact black women's sexuality specifically and really women as a whole because again we have someone else telling the story rather than us telling it for ourselves so you know i wrote that article to really have people think about it from a different perspective from a perspective of someone within the community who also understands data and numbers but can but can challenge that idea that you know black women are X, Y, and Z. Um, they're not, they're, they're non-monolithic. You know, we have a lot of different experiences and we need to acknowledge that. It's so important. And the word that's, the word that's coming to me is fear mongering. I feel like that's what sex ed is, as you've been talking about, you know, this is the contraceptions, this is how to keep yourself safe. I remember when I was younger, I thought, I didn't realize that you could only get pregnant like a few days a month. <laughs> you know, I thought it was like, <laughs> yeah. you have sex, you're going to get pregnant. You know, that's what's going to happen. And I, I didn't know until I was an adult, actually, that that actually wasn't true. And I was looking into the natural birthing method and everything. And yeah, it's just so much fear and not really any education. It's preventative, as you're saying. It's, it's just do these things, if not these bad things are going to happen, but without the information underneath them. 
Absolutely. And you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I remember teaching, I used to teach human sexuality. Um, and I remember going through the lesson around um, fertilization and, you know, menstruation and going through the different cycles of ovulation. Um, and so, I mean, it was almost like everyone's jaw dropped when they recognized that you, you ovulate and then, you know, majority of the cycle has to, is, is evolved around the maturity of the egg and the disposal of the egg. The window is so small, you know, it's like you said, just a few days. And I mean, the males in the class, the females in the class, they were, I mean, it was, I think every semester that that class was the one that they were like, wow, I had no idea. I think it was that. And, and the fact that there was, you know, over a million sperm per ejaculation, they, they, that one blew them and the, and the, and the speed of sperm um, during ejaculation, those those really caught them. Um, But you're right. I mean, we're not, we don't talk about the menstrual cycle. You mentioned that earlier. We don't talk about, you know, the use of tampons or the use of sanitary napkins, but we also don't talk about the fact that if we're going to say pregnancy prevention is important and it is important, we don't even offer other methods like, um, like you know, like like tracking your cycle, understanding you know, you know what that looks like for you, whether you want to use it for pregnancy prevention or not. Some people may just want to use it to understand their hormones and whether they have you know um, breakouts you know on their face or on other parts of their bodies that may be important to them that they never knew about that they could track to get an idea or a sense of what is my body actually doing from month to month? You know, um, you know, people suffer from, you know, heavy periods, cramping, like all of these different reproductive things that are problematic, um, you know, for some people that are detrimental to their daily lives that, if they just understood their body and how it works and what they're eating and what they're drinking at certain times of the month, that could help alleviate some of those um, complications. Um, And we don't even really talk about sexual difficulties or, you know, reproductive issues. And, and that's just one piece of it, you know, but we focus so heavily on don't get pregnant, you know, don't, don't do this, don't do that. And there are like 98 things of a hundred that we could be talking about that could actually improve females lives on a day-to-day basis, you know, and that's the shocking part that we're missing the mark um, too often. And women are finding out about these things, you know, 10, 15 years after the fact and they're like, wow, I wish I would have known that a long time ago. Um, and, and I think that's where we do a disservice um, through, through education. So, you know, you hit, you hit a lot of good points and we really got to do better. <laughs> we do. And yeah. the word that's coming to me more so about the first point you mentioned, but is gaslighting. You know, I feel like well, lack of education in a way is um, denying someone what could be their reality, but also what you're talking about, about black women and the way that they're portrayed in the media, you know, and them feeling like they maybe 
have to act like that or that's how people see them. And it's just the biggest amount of gaslighting. And it's making me think about this book that I read called Invisible Women. Have you read it? I have heard of it. I have not read it yet. Yeah. So it's it's about, just for the listeners, it's about how the world was made for men. And it goes from everything to do with car seats so she talks about how um i don't know all the percentages i can't remember the numbers but many more women feel sick in cars than men and they think it might be something to do with almost like the circadian well the rhythm of the body that they change in cranial sacral therapy but also they think it might be to do with the fact that the car seats are made for someone of the size of a man And then after many years, some car companies decided to put a smaller version of like the man dummy into the car seats. So they could be like, well, you know, we put a smaller person in um, maybe around the height of the average woman. So you can't say that anymore. But they didn't proportion in like breasts and body fat. They just kind of scaled down the, the, the man body. And, you know, they think, well, maybe that's the reason why women get more car sick and to do with clinical um, research to do with um, medical trials and about how nearly all of them are done on men and the ones that are done on men and women. The data isn't split up, so it all comes underneath the same bracket of data, but a lot of medication affects women differently to men. And if they had just split up the data, then we would have that information. And it's just such a depressing (laughs) but eye-opening book. yeah, I couldn't believe it. And I imagine that's even more the case for marginalized communities such as black women. Definitely. And, you know, that is one of the reasons why, you know, I get pushback sometimes when I write, you know, academic journals and it's um, academic articles to be published in journals is, you know, the fact that, well, why are you focusing just on black women? What about, you know, h- how do they, you know, compare to white women or Hispanic women, or, you know, have you looked across race? And my, my constant reaction and response to that is we have been comparing women for so long. We need to focus on within, you know, a certain population because, because yes, looking at differences is important, but we need to have some attention dedicated to, you know, smaller groups, because even as you mentioned, you know, when we do population-based surveys, or population-based research, um, the data that's reported is overall. So, you know, smaller communities are ref- are hidden in that majority community. And therefore, the data that's being presented, it's not that it's inaccurate, it's that it's misrepresenting that smaller group because there may not be the same outcome. Um, and so looking at, you know, smaller groups, now the sample sizes are smaller and and, and all of that, but it's still valuable data, still valuable information. Um, You know, the same is true, like you were saying about differences between gender. Well, we know that there's differences between gender. Um, And so, but looking at differences between race um, as well as gender, you know, then you start to really understand what populations look like and, and the ways best to serve them. Um, And so, you know, and, and sometimes it's really hard because, you know, getting funding to do that type of work is not easy, you know, because, you know, organizations want to know what's the benefit, you know, how are you going to use these dollars to benefit a large population? And, and, and that, that question in itself is rooted in, you know, some level of, um, 
you know, lack of understanding that looking at, you know, various groups is important. Like just doing that is important. Um, and so, you know, that's another reason why I focus primarily on black women, because there's a lack of black women research and there's a lack of data in the research. They're always embedded in some other group, like embedded in other females, embedded in, you know, men and women. Um, and, and so because of that, we don't know, we are, until recently, you know, some of the studies I've worked on, we didn't know what pleasure and orgasms look like for Black women. Um, I just published a paper in the Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy that specifically talks about Black women from 18 to 92 um, and, and looked at it from different um, age cohorts because that's another thing we don't see in the research. So, so one thing is we don't have Black women and then we didn't have data that looks at, so at, well, we don't have adolescents in the paper. It's 18 and up. But what do, what do younger adults look like? What do middle-aged adults look like? What do older adults look like as it relates to their sexual um, experiences and their pleasure and their orgasms. And that data wasn't around and it's 2021. <laughs> and it blows my mind sometimes as a researcher that this data wasn't out there before, you know, and, and what was being represented has changed, you know, things have changed over time. Um, and so, you know, I would say, I don't know if that was one of the the things in my in my article, I don't remember, but but if not, I would definitely say another thing affecting Black women's sexuality is the lack of data or the lack of research to support um, our sexuality. Yeah, it blows my mind that this stuff has not been researched and checked out. In the book, she says about how they think Viagra might help. I think it was Viagra. They think might help with period pains, but they can't get the funding for it. I'm like that can yep. help like half <laughs> the population how can you not get funding for that is such a debilitating thing for so many people but because it affects people with vulvas and not penises for some reason it hasn't it hasn't gone through it hasn't been researched yeah yeah I mean I see those types of things all the time um you know even as it relates to different um disease outcomes you know whether, you know, since we're talking about sexuality, you know, even thinking about PrEP. Um, so for those listening, um, PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis um, or a prevention tool that is used to prevent HIV. And when you look at the studies that have been done, majority of the studies have been done in men and, and not, there's a, there's, there's more research being done now. But when we look at when PrEP was first approved by the FDA, all, almost all of the studies were done in, in, in men, and, and, and by men, I'm saying those who were assigned male at birth. Um, so, so this can include those who present as cisgender men or those who present as transgender women. And so because of that, there was a, there was a pushback in various communities to say, what about women? You know, women want to use PrEP too. Women, women have you know, exposures to HIV too. And, you know, the, the focus has been on men and even HIV prevention medication or HIV medication for treatment. Um, you know, it took longer for studies to be done in women. Um, and I believe that started because women were, um, were transmitting the virus to their unborn children or their, or their born children. And so women started to be studied of how do we prevent this transmission? But it wasn't, women weren't really the focus. It was the baby 
who was the focus of those, you know? And so it's just, it just shows kind of where our world, um, how the world views females. Um, and so it's not just, you know, the UK or America, it's, it's all over. Um, and, you know, again, research is being done now more recently, um, but it didn't start out that way. And so it's, it's just, it's very interesting that, you know, those entities that, that provide the funding, you know, and the people who are making decisions, you know, I'd be curious to know what those, what those tables look like, you know, what's, what's the, what's the ratio of males to females? What's the ratio of various backgrounds um, who are present to say that this is important and it should be funded? Um, and, and the different proposals that are going across their desks, which, which things are being funded and which things are not. Um, and I'd be curious to know what that looks like um, because I don't believe that there aren't people who want to do the research. It's just, how do you pay for it? You know, how, who's going to support it? If you write a paper, what journal is going to publish it? You know, it's all of those things that are, that, that are pieces to, to the final product, which is you go on a website and you search for an article or you, you Google what data you're looking for and you don't get any search results. But there's all of those steps in between of why it's not there yeah. that people don't recognize. Yeah, there's so much to it. And everything you're saying is just so fascinating to me. I think I could learn so much from you, um, but I'm going to call it a day for today. Where can the listeners <laughs> find you? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I, like I said, I, I conduct research um, and I, um, I try to share all of my articles uh, via Instagram. Um, I have a link tree there. Uh, my Instagram handle is Dr. Ashley Towns. So that's D-R um, period Ashley Towns. Um, I, I'm, I try my best to um, keep things on um on you know different research websites, so PubMed, um, Google Scholar um, are ways to find any research articles that I've written and published as well. Um, and I definitely welcome you know folks to contact me if they have questions about any of the data um, that I've presented. Amazing. I'm going to post all of that in the show notes page so the listeners will be able to find you there. Um, and yeah, Ashley has some of her articles on her link tree. So if you find the link tree or go via Instagram that you'll be able to read um, some of Ashley's stuff. So it was such a pleasure to have you, Ashley. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. 